Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. asked me, so are you ready, or how are you feeling about what you're going to talk about, and, and honestly, I, after 17 years of teaching this, we could talk for six months nonstop about everything I've learned, and so I have to pick like a two-hour chunk of all of that to share with you today, and it's okay. I know that what needs to be shared will be shared, but I will say that Kaylin this morning because of our little brief conversation, what you guys are going to get for the probably the first half hour at least is different than what I planned last night at 1 a.m. hadn't planned on going to this, but we also have more time than I had remembered. We'll be able to do it all. But let me ask you first of all, how many of you can look back in your life and remember a time where you needed something that was outside of your control. It was bigger than you. You didn't know, like she was talking about yesterday, impossible things that were made possible. Raise your hand if you can think of at least one experience in your life where you saw the Lord's hand cause something to happen that was unexpected or just a tender mercy or... Does anybody want to share one that comes to mind? Can I share? Yeah, please. Uh, One of the biggest things was I was on a mission in France and Switzerland, and I was called to Switzerland, and I was thrilled because it was French-speaking, which my grandmother came from. And the last three months I was called into Switzerland. I served the whole time in France. And as soon as I got there, and one of the first Saturdays we went visiting, and we actually went up to her little village and saw it. As soon as I got back, I knew my mother needed to come and and see this and visit and, and meet the relatives that were still there. And... I wrote to her, of course, at this time, it's not email, it's one week letter and one week back. So I wrote her and I said, I feel like strongly you need to come. And I'm the oldest of 10. My mother's always just lived on a a string, you know. And she wrote back and says, I have seen absolutely no way that that could happen. And I said, Mom, I wrote her back immediately. I said, I can't tell you how strongly I feel that you need to come. And the money came through. I can't remember the first time how it came through, but my father spent it. <laughs> and he used it for something else. And my mom wrote back and said, we had it, but now we don't. I can't come. And I wrote back, I said, Mommy, there's, there has to be a way. And she received a check in the mail from his parents that they were just, they sent a certain amount of money to all five of their children. They had some kind of, I don't know what it was that came in. My mom got it, and she held on to it. She didn't tell my dad. She booked everything. (laughs) And she came. She and my sister, they came, and we visited. And she was already into genealogy and family history. But being there and seeing and meeting, it opened avenues of of contact. So, Anyone else want to share one? We were pretty newly married, and I was just feeling like we had nothing. And I, I really felt inspired. I knelt down and prayed. I said, Heavenly Father, we need $10,000. And we need this, 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 and this. I met my husband when he came home from work. I went out in the car and I said, I just want you to know what I prayed for today. And he just sat there and looked at me and says, you know, I can't do that. I said, that's okay. Heavenly Father's got that. And it took, it took a year, but within a year, all of those things were met in extraordinary ways. And we still look back at that and go, we can just ask. 
Okay, so let me ask you, is there anyone in here that feels a little bit frustrated with that comment? Be honest. Sometimes. Be honest. Yeah. A little bit. I used to. I wish I knew it like 20 years ago. So, so it's truth. What she is saying is truth. But I remember hearing that for many years. I would go to, to events or programs or things that were trying to teach me how to have this rare kind of faith where you know that the Lord's going to take care of you, that you're not worried about the bills at the end of the week. You're not worried about how you're going to get your kid into college, that those things don't have to be a constant worry. I wanted to have that kind of peace of mind. And I'd hear stories like that where we can just ask and he provides. I'm like, I'm asking, why isn't it working? You know, and... I, I worry sometimes when I, when I give presentations now, and I don't do them very often, but when I do, I worry that my message has become robotic, because I've told these stories so many times, but as I'm pondering, just getting ready to come up, I'm like, Heavenly Father, how can I, how can I make sure that this is meaningful? I, I mean, because I've noticed that even if I'm robotic, everybody gets what they need out of it, but I want to feel what you're feeling. I want this to be memorable for me, too. And the one word popped into my mind, remember. <laughs> remember why you do what you do. Remember what you felt. Remember how long you suffered. Remember how hard it was, because there are sisters here that feel that way right now. Remember. It's hard to remember sometimes because it's hard. It was a hard place to be. But I am so grateful that there are answers and that there are principles and that there are ways that we can make minor, such small adjustments to the thoughts we choose and the way we think that open the heavens to us. He is more ready to bless us than we allow him to. I used to think that I would have to beg and plead for the things that we needed. Begging and pleading. Begging and pleading. That if I just was righteous enough, if I was just obedient enough, that if I was just good enough, if I just served enough, that if I was just perfect enough, Maybe he will see fit to bless us. <laughs> it's not that complicated. <laughs> so I'm pulling from a fireside that I teach that is based on the contents of this book, Hidden Treasures. This is the one that talks about the seven laws, and we're going to go over those today. This is a free download. If you want to just download this book for free, it's at hiddentreasuresbook.com, and it's called Heaven's Astonishing Hope with Your Money Matters. So... As we face struggles, as we come upon a challenge that's like, oh, this blindsided me, or I don't know how we're going to get through this one, and we know, or we've been told, asking you shall receive. How do you do that when you've been trying? Some of the common questions that we have, if we know our mission that we need to fulfill, or if we're still seeking for it, it's common to wonder, how are we going to do that? Who's going to help us? Where are the resources going to come from? I mean, we want to see the end from the beginning. As human beings who are living this physical world and we're trying to learn how to live by faith, this is such the, such the seminar of life is a seminar. We are sent to this seminar and it's just one big experiential. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're away at summer camp. It's a, it's a schooling. And it's kind of like being thrown into a room. Any of you have seen those escape rooms? I haven't been to one, but they look like a lot of fun, where you're locked in a room for an hour or so, and you've got to seek for clues in the room on how to get out. <laughs> and, and you pay 
money to do this. It's <laughs> <laughs> a brilliant business idea. Right? <laughs> but the common conclusion that we come to so often is there is no way. There's no way. I've seen the evidence. I've seen my resources. I know what I've got to work with. I know who I'm working with. I know what my capabilities are. And frankly, this, what you've given me to do, there is no way. The math does not add up. It just does not add up. And so if we lack the ability to accomplish all that God has asked of us, then in essence, we are in bondage. We are stuck. Right? Anybody ever feel stuck? (laughs) And so as we've been taught, we should liken the scriptures to ourselves. And one of my favorite stories is of Gideon and the Midianites. So I want you to look at the Midianites as we go through this story as they are our challenges. Uh, They are a reflection of our challenges. And so let's go over this. The affliction. Judges. We're in Judges. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. So what's he doing? What is the Lord doing? Remember. 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 We've, we've done stuff like this before. You know, you are in, the, in, in bondage to the Midianites. But we've done this before. This is old hat to me. Just Remember. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? But now the Lord hath forsaken us. Okay, so <laughs> he's like, that was in the olden days, like in Moses' time. And that, that was ancient. <laughs> Gideon is saying, that's ancient. But where's the Lord now? I mean, that was, in, that was like in the scriptures. But what about now? And look at us. We're saying the same thing about Gideon. Yeah, well, that was good for Gideon, but what about now? <laughs> I find it funny, because I, I don't have the timeline in front of me. I try to remember when this is. In the context of whatever it really was, it did feel ancient to Gideon, right? But they're both ancient to us, and yet the Lord is the same today and forever, right? So here's the plan. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? How am I going to do this? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to help my son? How am I going to get over this obstacle? How am I going to deal with this health challenge? Whatever the challenge is, how? How are we going to do this? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. I don't have the resources to do what you're asking me to do. I am the least in my father's house. I don't have the the power to do what you're asking me to do. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So here's what happened. He had 32,000 men in his army. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. In other words, your army's too big. I will deliver you from the Midianites, but your army's too big. I'm not going to do this as long as they are this big. And the reason is because lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own head hath saved me. You have too many, so that when I deliver you, you're going to think it was you. And I want you to know it was me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early. 
And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. So he went to his army and he said, all right, who's afraid to go to battle? Go home. I would rather have a smaller, and the Lord is saying, basically, you are better off with a small number of people as long as there's no fear than with a large army with fear. In other words, capacity is not the advantage. Size of your bank account is not the advantage. Your talents are not the advantage. So two-thirds are fearful, one-third are courageous. It's better to fight without the fear, even if the faith remaining is small. And by the way, all of this, you don't need to frantically take notes. This is from Hidden Treasures. You can just download the book if you need backup. So, oh gosh, this reminds me of a, a time in, in the early days of the church when the Lord tells his people, ye endeavor to believe that you should receive the blessing which was offered unto you, but behold, verily I say unto you, there were fears in your hearts, and verily this is the reason that you did not receive. <laughs> I look at the numbers like, whoa. We forget, don't we? We forget the commandment to fear not. That wasn't just a suggestion so that you'll feel better. That is, fear not so I can bless you. Is it possible to kick out fear? We're going to talk about that. We're going to actually practice that in a little bit. So his 10,000 men were reduced again to how many? No. 300. And the Lord's... How many of you have not known this story? Isn't this crazy? This is like... When I saw this, I'm like, where has this story been all my life? This is, ugh. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. <laughs> Bring them down into the water, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. And the rest that went just to the water and drank directly from the water were the rest of them. All the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped will I save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now, I saw some symbolism in this. Does anybody else see it? Send the fear away and come unto Christ, the living water. Those are two things that as we face our obstacle, face our challenge, we've got to send the fear away. And I know if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, yeah, how? I, I can't shake this fear. I can't. It, it just follows me. I can't rest. I can't turn my brain off. It's with me all the time. I don't know how to let go of the fear. What if I could? And then come into Christ the living water to trust him and to remember who is the God of the Old Testament? Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ. This is who is promising Gideon the victory. I, I will give you the victory, Jesus Christ. So victory is declared, and this is super, super important. It says in Judges 7.14, Into his hand hath God delivered, past tense, Midian and all the host. But this was before the battle had even begun. Can you think of other places in God's history where he has spoken something as though it's already happened? The Savior. The Savior. The Savior. All the time. I am. He is the great I am. Everything was present tense to him. Why did Adam call Eve Eve? She's the mother of all living. Had she had any children? Start paying attention to that in your scriptures. It's really easy to gloss over these moments where something is declared and in your head you're thinking, oh, it's already happened. Pay attention, has it? Things are spoken in present tense so often. 
So again, Boyd Keith Hacker, there are two kinds of faith, and this is on your quote sheet. One of them functions ordinarily in the life of every soul. It is the kind of faith born by experience. It gives us certainty that a new day will dawn, that spring will come, that growth will take place. It is the kind of faith that relates us with confidence to that which is scheduled to happen. I have faith that the sun will go down tonight. How can I know that, or how can I believe that? Experience, because it does every night. So what if, okay, I invite you to have faith that that bill that's looming over your head this week will be paid. Sometimes we can't rely on this kind of faith because it's never been easy. I can't say that it's going to be easy this time because it never has been. I can't relate it to experience. That is hard. That is hard to exercise faith on something that you don't have experience with. And that's this other kind of faith. Rare indeed, he says. This is the kind of faith that causes things to happen for the first time. It is the kind of faith that is worthy and prepared and unyielding, and it calls forth things that otherwise would not be. It is the kind of faith that moves people. It is the kind of faith that sometimes moves things. And I can't tell you how excited I was to hear President Packer say this, because some of you who have been following me for many years know that I am on a list of people who have gone to the devil. Some of you look shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. Really? Awesome. Stephen R. Covey's on there too, so I'm like in good company, right? No, because some of you are familiar with the secret and the law of attraction and, and, and all of this. And honestly, there is a good reason to be discerning. And when I learned these principles, essentially it was the law of attraction, but... When I first learned about them, it was a speaker who came to an event that I was at. His name is Bob Proctor. Some of you know who he is. And one of the first things he says is, there is a verse in the Mormon scriptures that says, there is a law irrevocably decreed before the foundations of the earth that when we obtain a blessing, it's predicated on the blah, blah, blah. I don't remember how it goes. Who can quote it? I think I have it in my presentation. I, it, it's coming, but... And so he got my attention. I'm like, okay, laws, laws. Tell me the law that governs prosperity. And he says, that's what we're going to talk about, the laws that govern prosperity. Because, And he was the, one of the first speakers that, that we listened to. And some of you know we attended over 100 seminars while we're looking for answers, racking up our credit cards to go to these events. Because every time we'd come, we'd get something that we're like, oh my gosh, there is something here I need to understand. And every time we'd get a nugget, a nugget, a nugget, but we'd come home super excited and then everything would fall apart. And we're like, why did I feel like there was something there and it still isn't working? And it just kind of kept us chasing and, and seeking and searching. I remember one time I told somebody this yesterday, there was an event in Florida that we felt like we needed to be at. We've got to be there. We couldn't afford to take a trip to Florida, but we, um, I think we increased our limit on a credit card or something to make it happen. I'm not recommending that, but we were desperate. And so we, uh, we searched for a flight that would be super cheap between Arizona or, I don't know if we were in Utah at the time, I think it was Arizona, and Florida. And did you know that the less you pay for a flight, the more of the country you get to see along the way? I think we, it took like five legs, five legs get from one end of the country to the other. We had time. We didn't have money, you know. You have one or the other. But, 
But we got there, and our plan was to sleep in the rental car all weekend, and we had a can of corn in our backpack. And we get to the airport, and we go to rent the car, and they're like, "Oh, you don't have room on your credit card to reserve a car," because we didn't know they they you know they put a big chunk on the card to in case you destroy it or something. And we didn't have room on the credit card, so we had no place to stay. But anyway, that's how hungry we were to understand this rare kind of faith. How many of you do not know our story or hearing this for the first time? Okay. When you say we, my husband and I. Long story short, I really, really wanted to focus on the principles and less on my story. But long story short, when the lights finally went on, we're like, that's all it is. And we came home and tripled our income in three months. It wasn't not scary, but we had knowledge and understanding to base our faith on. And so, when your faith is weak, knowledge can strengthen your faith. If you don't know who you are, and somebody tells you you are a child of God, that's knowledge. That's somebody teaching you something that the Spirit's going to confirm as truth. And knowing that. Your confidence grows. You can pretend like you have confidence, but nothing changes your confidence more than knowledge of who you really are. And the same goes with these principles: is once you understand the laws, it's so much easier to have faith. So much easier to have faith. It's not the same stretch and struggle it is when all you can see is all the reasons it's not going to work. He continues: it comes by gradual growth. It is a marvelous, even a transcendent power—a power as real and as invisible as electricity. Directed and channeled, it has great effect. And before I forget, the reason I brought this up about being on a list of people who gone to the devil and why it's good to be discerning in these principles—I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, and I might delete it from the audio. But a friend of mine had a friend, and I wouldn't—I mean, I normally wouldn't share a story like that. But, but I know who she's talking. I've met this other person, so I know she's real. It's not just fabricated. <laughs> but her friend used to be a bona fide witch. And she learned that she could conjure up just about anything. She could get whatever money she wanted. She could. There is a power that supplies things in a inappropriate way that takes us away from our purpose and our and our mission and away from God. And so we can't just assume that there isn't a counterfeit to true principles. There always will be. And I don't fault those who have taught the law of attraction. It's a true principle. It is a true principle, but it is very, very, very similar to some of the things that、um, we as Christians should stay very, very far away from. And because it is so similar, the counterfeit is so close that people who are very accustomed to avoiding the evil see what we are teaching as, oh, that's super close to this evil thing. It might be bad too. Does that make sense?、Mm-hmm. But we don't want to reject the good out of fear of the bad, as long as we are finding the truth, because there Satan will have a counterfeit to every 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 true principle and every true doctrine and every true ordinance. There is a counterfeit. There is a counterfeit. And so about this woman, she was a bona fide witch, and she said she could use these principles to get anything she needed. She had come to such a strong faith. In the principles, because the principles are true, whether you're good or bad, no matter who you are, it's like gravity affects us all, no matter what our intentions are. It's there, it's real. But she converted to Christianity. This woman, 
She converted to Christianity, and she says, and the principles still work, but it's a little harder, because God makes me change first. (laughs) He still gives me what I need, but he makes me change in the process. The adversary, you don't have to change. Do you see how important it is to be discerning? And so the principles are true, and they're true, and they're not bad, and they are not, I mean, they are, I think they're good. But they can be used by the adversary to take us away from our true purpose and mission. And that's why, originally, when I learned these principles from a secular setting, I saw truth in them, and I knew that there were scriptures to support what I was learning, and so it's been my, it's been my desire, originally, I'm like, I have to bring this to the LDS people because so many of us are afraid to learn it, because it looks so much like the counterfeit. But it is literally the answer to so many so many things that we must be able to do in these last days to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we have to understand these principles to accomplish the impossible things he asks of us. And so originally when I was teaching, you know, it's coming from a world where, hey, you can have the fast car, you can have the big house, you can have all this stuff. And some of my old, old websites still have some elements of that because I was still trying to figure out, you know, well, what do people want? If I can help them learn these principles, they can accomplish anything. But really, my heart, my desire is to help the House of Israel discover and fulfill their purpose and their mission unhindered, unhindered by the money problem. That's really, that's really what it is. And so some people who know I've got these bestsellers and who know that, I mean, I've got stories where we were at the end of our money and we didn't know what we were going to do and we applied these principles and we made $43,000 that next month. Those are great stories that sell books. And the, the Lord has been very good about letting people apply these principles in immediate, temporal, difficult situations so that they can learn the principles. And then you go apply it to your calling. Then you apply it to your children. But I am uncomfortable. I mean, if you, I want to be incognito. I don't want to be the person with the giant house. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We did that early on. We did that for a while. I've got a website with a picture of it because it's to show the contrast between where we had come from and what can happen with it. And sometimes people need to see that. But I tell you, that was a burden, burdensome place to clean. I am not motivated by a big house. I'm looking at this place. I'm like, nice place to visit. I wouldn't want to live here unless I had staff. You know what I mean? And I even hesitate to want staff because my family lived in Indonesia when I was about 10 for three years. And we had staff. And my poor husband. I was not inclined to do some of the things that a child should be learning how to do when they're 10. You know, it's taken me a long time to enjoy housekeeping and things that, as a mom, I think I should value and teaching my children and stuff. And so, and then people say, well, if you've got a big mission, you should have staff to help you with all those things. I agree. (laughs) I do agree. I'm not sure that my mission requires that. That's all I'm saying. This quote by Boyd K. Packer helped me. Yes, it is a true and good principle. For many years, I felt like I was alone. There is a group in Utah somewhere, and I hope, maybe I hope, that none of you were part of it. I I heard had banned my books because it looked too much like the counterfeit that they were trying so cautiously to avoid. 
and, and bless their hearts, I would, you know, if something is evil, avoid it. But um, I remember a time, and I, I don't know if this is in here, but when I was at this, okay, I really feel this compelling to bring this to the members of the church in my own way, whatever that's going to look like. I want moms to know they can come home from work if they want to be home from work. I mean, families can get out of debt. They can, they can um, stop work. You know, when you're so consumed with money worries, it really affects your ability to be effective serving others. I mean, how would it feel just not worry about the money anymore? Just, just have sufficient for your needs and know that it will always be that way. Who we could be if that was not our distraction. And I'm not even going to say that that distraction is a bad thing because it keeps us humble, and that's not a bad thing um, sometimes. But as I was trying to decide, is this right? Is this good stuff? Because it feels good. It's born good fruit. It's helped us solve our problem. My faith has increased because I learned it and saw it work. It's increased my discipleship. I feel like I can be a better saint knowing these principles. So how could it possibly be bad? I was so confused with some of the, the negative that I was getting. And I went to the temple in Los Angeles trying to once and for all get an answer. I will teach this if this is good. But if it's not good, let me know because I don't, I don't want to be deceived in this. And I went and did a session and didn't really get an answer. And so as I'm waiting in the foyer for my husband to come out, still trying to seek an answer, still trying to look. And I noticed on the wall there's a plaque. Have any of you been to the Los Angeles Temple and know what that plaque says? Do you remember? I would remember because that was like one of those moments in my life. Boom, here's your answer. And it was, and I'm not sure if this is in the presentation or not, but... Um, I'll have to quote it. I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure it's in here, so we'll get to it. But it's something about Brigham Young saying Mormonism embraces all truth, whether it's philosophical, scientific, political, da da da. da. We embrace it all. And I, I went and looked up the source. He's actually said it a different way a few different times. But in one of the sources, he says, if there be any truth in hell, it belongs to us. I'm like, well, all right then. I'm going to teach this. <laughs> But, you know, the Lord has a sense of humor, and I, I think he understood my concern, and I felt, I felt his pleasure in my concern. I felt that he was glad that I was concerned. Summing up, it's, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you a, a visual aid that helped boil it all down. We've been going to seminars, we've been getting pieces, but this was the visual aid that changed everything. This is the visual aid that my husband and I in the seminar were like, that's all it is. Um, Wait, you're in Florida. Come get the car. Oh, you want to know how we... Just the end real quick. Oh, so um, we called for an emergency increase on our limit oh. and slept in the car. Leslie, can I interject something of your story? Sure. I'm loving this. Wendy Watson Nelson, she gave a very short talk January the Worldwide Devotional about desperation. She is awesome. Because if you're desperate for answers, you'll do anything it takes to receive those answers. If you're desperate to get healthy, you'll do whatever it takes to eat well and to exercise and to find those answers. And she gave different stories in the scriptures, and she said, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You look for the clues. What's the commonality of the woman who reached for Jesus' robe and these other stories? And she said they were all desperate. 
And that's one of the beautiful things about your story is you are willing to pay any price for your answers. Well, when life is hard enough, yeah. you get desperate. You get desperate. Yeah. Oh, that I could be as hungry without the pain. Right? <laughs> oh, my kid. Uh, is that you? Who's writing this down? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you oh, how I, I oh that I could be as hungry without the pain. <laughs> All right, so this is the diagram. Now, this diagram, we're actually going to go through it twice. Because remember, I'm showing you something I hadn't planned on showing you today. So you're going to see it twice. And if you don't get it in those two times, write this website down. There's a whole hour and plus video of me doing the diagram again. The website is at prosperthefamily.com. At the top, there's a link. You'll have to kind of read the paragraph. It says click here for the video. But that's the fastest way to get to it. Prosperthefamily.com. So, power of present tense. What is the power of the word on your mind? We're going to look at this a couple different ways. This is a model for the mind. It was originally developed by Dr. Thurman Fleet in the 1930s. He was the author or originator of what's called concept therapy. This is kind of my mormified version. This diagram, this visual aid, has been used in psychological counseling and therapy. And it's been reported that patients are seeing more progress in four sessions than they've seen in four years with just this concept. And I believe it because this is the one that transformed us within three months. So there's three parts of your mind. The top is your conscious, the conscious part of your mind. It represents the part of you that is aware. There's the subconscious and the body. And for the purpose of this presentation, we're going to call it the intellect or the heart. There's some debate over what's what in this, but it's a model that works. You know, when you go to ninth grade chemistry and they talk about the atoms and molecules and they look like this, well, do they really? Or is it just a model that works and helps explain what's happening in, in experiments? That's, that's what this is. This is just a model that helps explain how things happen. So we're going to talk about the conscious part of your mind. This is the part of you that is aware. It's the part of you that is aware that you're aware. <laughs> right? I mean, dogs may be aware, but I'm not sure they're aware they're aware. Um, it's the part of your mind that adds meaning to your experiences. In other words, you come home and there is a bill in the mail with past due on it. Is that good or bad? Is it bad? Well, the bill in the mail is just a bill in the mail. It's only good or bad after you assign meaning to it. That's a function of your conscious mind, is to assign meaning to something that happens to you. That bill in the mail could be, oh my gosh, we're going out of town, and I didn't realize we were overdue on that. I don't have the money to pay this, but I can call them and say, we're going to be out of town. I will send you this much of it next Friday. And now you can go on vacation relax, knowing that that thing you didn't know was a problem is at least on hold, and you're communicating. So that bill in the mail could have been a good thing because it allowed you to remember something you didn't know was wrong. So is it good or bad? You choose. Now think about your life right now, something that's happening in your life that you think is bad, is it? Or is that just the meaning you've assigned to it? Oh, deep, right? It's the part of your mind also that has the ability to accept or reject ideas. As you're sitting here listening to me, if you hear something that doesn't quite fit with your belief system or your experience, you can kick it out. You can reject it. That's the filter that we have on a conscious level. 
It's also the part of your mind that has the ability to create new ideas. And I want you to remember this little cloud. That cloud out to your left represents creativity. That cloud is the key to your deliverance. So the subconscious mind. This is the part of your mind that controls and handles your automatic life-sustaining functions. Name one. Your heart beating, your breathing all night long, uh, blinking. Yeah, these things that keep your body functioning the way it's supposed to. What if you had to put it on your to-do list? Remember to beat your heart today. No. Oh gosh, I got distracted. (laughs) This is God's gift to us, is the subconscious part of our mind that handles the things that he knows we'd forget to do if we didn't didn't have it. It's also the part of your mind that cannot reject ideas. If it receives an idea, it just accepts it as truth. It doesn't filter. That's a function of your conscious mind. The filter is a conscious choice. The subconscious just takes whatever it receives as, as truth, as face value. So it's also the part of our mind that responds to thoughts charged with emotion. In other words, say you are at a movie and you're watching a horror film. Someone is getting eaten by a monster and your heart's racing and you're like this, or if you're like my husband, you're like this. (laughs) He likes to tap his foot and I'm like, honey, it's a cartoon. (laughs) Right? Um, It's so much fun. (laughs) But, uh, It's an automatic response because our subconscious mind feels our emotion and it says, oh my gosh, we might die. And so it releases adrenaline so that we can escape. It tenses our muscles so that we can flee. All of these things, it's just a physiological response to something that our mind has taken in and was not filtered. Are you going to die? No, you're at Harkins, right? And so uh, you're not going to die. But... If there is a thought charged with emotion, your subconscious mind pays attention. It pays attention. That's important to remember. We'll come back to that. The third part of your mind is your body. It's a tool of the mind. The body is a tool of the mind. This is where your behaviors are acted out. It's the part of you where your health conditions are manifest. It's the part of you that does things. It's your actions. And it's also the part of you that emanates a countenance. It's an amplifier. It houses our spirit. So when you see somebody that just seems to radiate, you're looking at their body, but there's an energy that you're feeling from them. I put this down in the body section because it's where we're relating with other people. It's the part of us that has that interaction with other people. Now, this is... A nice sum up. There is a book called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. In this book, and this is a book that is quoted by Spencer W. Kimball in in Miracle of Forgiveness. But James Allen says, The outer conditions of a person's life will always be found to be harmoniously related to his inner state. Men do not attract that which they want, but that which they are. So let's look at this. To sum up, your results are going to be a reflection of what's going on right there. They're going to be a reflection of what's going on in the subconscious mind more than, than what, what you're thinking and more than what you're doing. 
which is a little bit scary if you don't know what's going on in your subconscious mind. Well, but I'm thinking all the right things. I'm doing all the right things. Yeah, but that's not what matters. To change your results, you've got to change what's going on in the heart, in the subconscious, in that part of you. So here's why we remain in bondage. We have five senses, five physical senses. We see, hear, taste, touch, smell, and say there is something in our subconscious mind that says, oh, I'm always broke. That's an idea that we were emotional about at one point, and probably every time it comes up, we feel this emotion, this frustration. We never have enough. We never have enough. Why is it so hard? Life is hard. Why is life hard? And there is a principle. According to what's going on in our subconscious mind, our body moves into a corresponding vibration. And vibration, I'm just talking about ninth grade science again, like this table on a molecular level is bumping around. There's movement in the table. Do you believe that? Mm -hmm. There's movement in the air. There's movement in my body. And that rate of movement is a vibration. And how we are vibrating affects how people feel when they're with us. It affects how, what they feel when they come into the room where we just had the argument. You know what I'm saying? People feel these things, and, and the, we just call this vibration. But whatever's going on in the subconscious mind is going to move our body into a vibration that corresponds with it. And then our results are going to be a reflection of that. So we decide whether something is possible based on the evidence we see for our five senses. We're looking at, I don't have enough money, I don't have the talent, I don't have the resources, I don't have the network to do what I feel like I need to do. That's my evidence. It's not there yet. And so as we're looking at our results, we take that information into our five senses. Now, how do we feel about the way things are? Now, I'm going to skip ahead. We are going to do more of this in part two, but I want to skip ahead to the laws really fast. So here is that scripture. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. So what are some of the laws for receiving? How about ask in faith, nothing wavering? Oh, yeah, well, that one's hard. How about doubt not, fear not? Oh, that one's hard. How about have faith in Christ? Oh, that's hard. But those are the principles. Send the fear away. Again, you endeavored to believe that you should receive the blessing, but there were fears in your hearts, and that's why you didn't receive. Elder Nelson said, if you really want a certain blessing, you'd better find out what the laws are that govern that blessing and then work on becoming obedient to those laws. Yes. All these quotes I believe so. This one might not be. Wait, hold on. Yeah, I think so. I haven't been in my book for a long time, but I'm pretty sure it is. You guys know how to contact me, right? If you need anything. Alright, so let's go over these laws. Thank you. Guys, I've got six months of stuff to give you. We've <laughs> got two more days. <laughs> you might get behind. All right, so the laws of success. These are the names by which I learned them. I don't know who coined them. I did find that there is an ancient book that has been deemed to be evil that uses these words. And so, use your discernment. No, that was one of the complaints. Somebody said, oh, I saw what you wrote, and did you know that this is in this other book that's like, what's the word he used for it? A cultish book from hundreds of years ago. I'm like, no, I didn't know that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, so yeah, here is the quote from Brigham Young. Mormonism embraces all truth that is revealed and that is unrevealed. If it's truth, it's truth. 
and we embrace it, whether religious, political, scientific, or philosophical. And article of faith, if there's anything virtuous, lovely, or a good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. I have, though, experienced things that have helped me refine my understanding of them to be more aligned with gospel principles. I will say that. And part of it was after doing really well and publishing the books and everything, having the Lord kind of cut the current bush a little bit, if you know that story. And we just about lost everything. And I'm like, I am the jackrabbit lady. This is embarrassing. You know, I shouldn't be teaching this because I'm not sure it's true anymore. Everything's fallen apart. And what he taught us through that second round was so refining and so profound. And so I went from feeling like, oh, my gosh, we can obtain whatever money we need with these principles to accomplish what we need to accomplish to I don't need money to the money will be there, but that's not, that's a deeper talk. We're going to have to do another day. But anyway, so it's portal to genius has a lot of the lessons we learned since writing Jack Rabbit Factor. Portal to genius is the sequel to Jack Rabbit. That's in this book. This is also a free download. The sequel to the book goes over all the things that we learned since writing Jack Rabbit Factor. Anyway, the laws. Law of perpetual transmutation. Don't write these down. They're too long. It's in the book. This is a law that says that all things are either moving into form or out of form. All events, all circumstances, people, little baby moving into form as we watch, right? Soon to be an adult in the eternal scheme of things. And I found this from Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, that affirms this principle When we are in the spirit world, if we want to visit Jerusalem, there we are looking at its streets. If we want to behold Jerusalem as it was in the days of the Savior, there we are. And we see it as it existed spiritually, for it was created first spiritually and then temporally, and spiritually it still remains. Ponder that one for about four years, right? Mm -hmm. That, to me helps me when I need when I need resources that I don't have. I know that they can transmute from the spiritual world into reality by faith. And that all things are first created spiritually before physically. And so when Becky received her answer that she needed to visualize the retreat And she saw it in her mind's eye, the smiles, the hugs. She was activating the creative process. And that is as literal as it sounds. You activate this perpetual transmutation process by visualizing it first. See it. See it. And if you've never tried to do it, it's not as easy as it sounds because we kind of dismiss it. But to close our eyes... And to imagine what it's going to look like as though it's happened. And then how is that going to feel when it happens? If you see it and you feel it, you have activated this process. It's creation. And we are children of an eternal God with the seeds to become like him. And I just feel very, very blessed and fortunate and grateful that he has given us an opportunity to practice this in small things. So we can choose what we want. 
and create it spiritually. Like it's not yeah. you have the freedom to just make it however you want it to be. Yes. And that is Jacobit Factor. Portal to Genius is being careful about what you choose to create. <laughs> it's like be careful what you pray for because you might get it. Been there. Okay. Think of this. How many of us are doing this picturing the disaster that we're trying to avoid and imagining how that's going to feel? That's what we do all the time when we're not being careful is I'm so worried about what if my boy ends up in this mess or what if things don't work out for my daughter or what if my husband doesn't find a job and, and what we're doing is we're like, what are we going to do? Well, we're going we're to lose our house and we're picturing everything we don't want. And we're getting emotional about it. And so, yeah, we're activating something. So this, that was one thing that, that began some of the change for us is, okay, instead of picturing the disaster and feeling fear and saying, oh, please bless us that this and this and this isn't going to happen. He's like, oh, I want to. Just knock it off. Come on. Picture what you want. Picture it the way you are praying for it. Get all three pieces in line. See it the way you want it. Feel it as though it's done and ask for that. Don't ask for something that doesn't match what you're picturing. So there's a, there's a huge clue. Second law, law of relativity. What if things are really bad? And it's hard not to feel upset about things that are really bad. The idea is to put our mind and our heart into a grateful, abundant state so that our vibration can reflect it and so that the results can reflect that. And in order to do that, we need some tools to help us check our thinking at the conscious level. And so when something bad happens, one way to flip it to a positive is to remember we're not yet as Job. I read this book, I love this book, All These Same Principles, To Him That Believeth. Have you read that? By Frederick Bevel. He points out there's verse in Job that says, All things that I did fear has come upon me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Say that again, Kim. In Job, all things that I did fear did come upon me. Oh. Read this book as To Him That Believeth by Frederick Bevel. He was an assistant to the first presidency for a lot of years. It's full of all this miraculous, beautiful, Thank you. Uh, law of vibration, we kind of touched on that. I'm going to go quickly through the, le the rest of this because I want to get back to the original presentation I planned. Law of polarity. Oh, I love this scripture for the law of polarity. The law of polarity says that in all situations, it, everything that's bad contains the seed of an equal or greater benefit. That's a Napoleon Hill quote. That if something bad happens, contained in that is something wonderful. And if it's only a little bit bad, then it's really only a little bit good. So who is the most lucky? Me. Me. <laughs> the worst off, and this is something that Bob Proctor's mentor, who is Earl Nightingale, I believe that's the one that told him this. He was in a room with Bob Proctor uh, teaching, and Bob was sick, he was broke, he was addicted to smoking, and he was, he was not well, his relationships were not good, and... He was trying to understand these principles early, early, early on. I think it was the 1960s that he was learning these things. And his mentor said, Bob, you are the luckiest man in this room. And he looked around. He's like, 
I am like the worst person off in this room. And he says, because you have the greatest opportunity. Contained in Bob's challenges was a better blessing than what those who were doing well had available to them. It kind of flips the switch for your mind a little bit when something catastrophic happens. And my husband and I are getting good at doing this much quicker. And when something big, bad happens, we're like, you know what this means? <laughs> and we start to get excited. What could this be? What can we create from this? Some of you, how many of you read um, my blog post last month about when he lost his job in January? Mm-hmm. Go read that on a rare kind of faith. So my husband lost his job. When we were just about to lose everything, both he and I would be like under our covers, just trying all, all we could to keep our thoughts in a good place because we knew that our future depended on how we were thinking right now. And uh, we struggled. That was hard. But this time around, you know, he, he gets let go from his job unexpectedly. He comes home. He's like, well, honey, something awesome. There's something awesome. And he told me, and I'm like, okay, all right, what can we create with this? And we immediately went to excitement. I'm like, I mean, we're terrified, but we're not going to, we're not going to give that attention. We're going to just start dreaming. We're going to start picturing. What are we going to be doing? in about five years. What are we going to, you know, I'm starting to turn that energy around right away. And in 30 minutes, he got a message from someone saying, hey, uh, you want to come interview on Tuesday for a position? And that's the job he got. He was 30 minutes not knowing what was going to happen in our future. 30 minutes. And uh, the job he got, it pays better. He gets to be home three days a week. He gets to travel and combine that with some of the things and events that he wanted to do on the side. They're accommodating that. Anyway, it's just like, that was awesome, you know? And so that's what polarity helps us do, is remembering that awful, awful things are really, really, really great. Polarity. Law of rhythm. If things are hard now, just know that nature does not stay the same. There is rhythm in all things. To everything, there is a season, not a, not a permanence. Season. If things are hard, you can know that by law, things will turn around. And just knowing that and believing that and looking for evidence of that activates this one. So, law of cause and effect. As you step closer to your goal, the goal steps closer to you. And this helped me because I used to think I had to go the distance. I had to... Run longer, sleep less, <laughs> you know. I had to do the impossible. But when I thought, because of the law of perpetual transmutation, if I just do this one little thing, then I know that something's going to step towards me a little bit, and I meet it in the middle. I can meet something in the middle. All right, now back to the original presentation. How are we doing? Awesome! So that's all the laws. How many are there? There's seven. There's a bonus law called the law of the vacuum, and you'll just want to get that out of the book. That's a fun one. The vacuum is my favorite chore. We we got new carpet with it. The law of the vacuum. Yeah. Okay. So, if we had this superpower, this superpower of rare faith. What would you change? Take a minute and think about, pick one thing that you would change if you had that rare faith. I'm passing around a piece of paper for each of you that's not for your journal, 
This is just for an exercise. Like having more money than, than what we owe in bills. You know, you can think of how your family life looks right now. If you'd like something to change about that, what would that be? Family life. Or something about your personal mission. Seeing yourself do something that you don't feel capable of doing yet. Or maybe what you came to the retreat to figure out. Everybody needs to get a uh, loose sheet of paper. I think, Becky, you're the only one that doesn't have one yet. Now, for this next part, this is going to feel so wrong. I'll just warn you, this is going to feel wrong, but I want you to trust me. Okay? Especially after all we just went through. You have total permission in this protected space. I want you to describe all the reasons that it's hard on the loose paper that I just gave you. All the reasons that what you're trying to do, who you're trying to become, what you want your family to look like, what you want your home life to look like, what you want your business to look like, what's in the way of it? And you might start out by, I, I really want XYZ, but here are the challenges that I'm up against. So specific to what we wrote, specific. if we had rare faith. Whatever yeah, was, or, if, or, or if this question brings up different stuff, just, just this is where you're going to put it. This is where you get to throw up. Just throw up. <laughs> it might be, I am not... So like, describing basically all the reasons the dream is hard. The dream is hard, or the reason the you're not there, or, or the reason you're not already living it. I need to throw up paper. Right <laughs> you don't want to use your journal for that? <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna we're gonna give you a good 10 minutes probably to do this piece I want you to get it all out and nobody's gonna read this nobody but you is there somebody who's giving you grief how do you feel about that is there something that you're struggling to forgive are there deep fears or worries about your abilities have you been traumatized how has the adversary attacked you? And if you need more paper, let me know. And it's okay to feel emotion on this. I don't want you to like try to be filtering right now. Because don't worry, you're not going to be creating what you're writing. This is a protective moment. You felt stifled? Stuck. Stuck? So confusion, anger. Uh, what were some of the first ones? Discouragement, shame, frustration, defeated, overwhelming fear. Okay, so back to this image. As we look at our circumstances as they are, now I want you to take that paper, fold it up at least four times, and stick it under your chair. Basically, we're going to just, that's out of your head. We're going to spend just the next half hour or so with those out of our head. No, don't tear it up. No, just put it away. Just put it away. And don't worry if you want it again. You can pick it up later and take it home with you. All right? Don't lose it. You know, don't lose it. Just put it under your chair. But as you take that information in, looking at your results that you have now with your five senses, we are thinking about it on a conscious level. And there are two factors that determine what programs are going to run in the subconscious mind and then determine your vibratory frequency. Two things. Number one, thoughts that are repeated often. 
And number two, thoughts that are charged with emotion. So remember, it's all about getting your subconscious mind into the right place to align with the goals you're trying to achieve or the changes that you're hoping to make. So as you're looking at your results, the question is, how do you feel about your challenge or problem? How often do you think those thoughts? Remember, repeat it often and charged with emotion. If you'll notice, if there is emotional charge, it's going to tell your subconscious mind, this is very important. And it's going to say, okay. Because remember, its job is to automatically help you stay well. And when you give it an image charged with emotion, you're telling it, this is very important to my wellness. Is it? Your conscious mind gets to decide. But our conscious mind has been unconscious. We haven't known that we have this process going on all the time. And as we give that message to our subconscious mind that this is important because I repeat it a lot and I'm super emotional about it, it can be good or bad emotion, it doesn't matter. It's just energy, intensity. And it moves us into a corresponding vibration and our results are a reflection of it. So this is the beginning of change, is this little thought cloud. This is how we break that cycle. We imagine, we do as Becky did, we visualize. And it's unnatural to many of us to do that. How many of you have a child who's a natural daydreamer? How many of you have a child who is more prone to looking at how things are and how hard it is and how bad? And... Some of us come with an easier job of doing this than others, but we all were born with the capability to create. It's in our DNA. And so the new idea, why is going to represent the opposite of what we've been dealing with. For example, if things are always short, if we're short on money, then I'm going to imagine what would it be like to have enough? What would that feel like? And as we ponder the possibilities consciously, we think about it and we entertain the idea and we hold on to that thought. Alma 32, give place for it. And then answer the question, how would it feel? What are you doing when you attach emotion to that? You're giving your subconscious a new program. Say, try this one on. Who's got a, a why idea that they can share with us right now? What would your why idea be? What would be different? What would change? Who can put into a few words what that would be? So my question yesterday was my 14-year-old son. I'm going to write my story of how he's going to behave so that I can react according to that behavior as opposed to the one that I'm reacting to right now. So are you picturing you reacting, or are you picturing him behaving? <laughs> That's a good question. That brings up a really good question. Because people are involved. And I'm glad yes. this came up. So remember I told about the uh, counterfeit? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, the counterfeit says, I can make people do stuff. Okay, so what I think you might be saying is there's a behavior that that you are reacting to a certain way and you want to choose a different reaction right. to help facilitate change that might right. really happen. And it's not for him. It's, I'm trying to look for my change, yes. but I'm trying to picture something different. Yes. So. so what I would do in your situation, I wouldn't even picture the interaction. I would imagine what is the outcome that that might produce? What kind of a relationship do I have with him now? Yeah. Okay, so okay. how would you like how would you like your relationship to be? Can you give me a word or two to describe that? Peaceful. Peaceful. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
peaceful. So what does it look like when you and your son are peaceful together? Oh, we just can sit there and have a smile on our face and we can just play cards. And there's your picture. Okay, thanks. Okay. And you were going to say something, Becky? Yeah, just that we do need to honor agency, but how we see someone is super impactful. And then it frees them by their vision of themselves. That's why I like to imagine the happy relationship that I want to see. It's not making them do it. It's changing me so that it could happen according to their agency. If they'll buy into it, then at least I am not the limiting factor. And that's true. You can have peace and joy with this son independent of how he's behaving. And so that's what we can. Correct. Yes. Thank you. So the question is, how would it feel? That's part two. You don't just picture it as though it's already happened. But you answer the question, how would that feel? Well, the only way to effectively answer that question is to Play it in your mind long enough that you actually feel it as though it's happened. Like a movie, like you're in it though. Like you are in the movie of it, not just watching it, but that you're in it. Like Becky, I imagine, saw yourself here with them there. You didn't see a camera over here looking at you in it. I did at the beginning, and then, and then the spirit reminded me, no, you be in it. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. Cool. So it is true. Okay. <laughs> and you can picture the, the desired outcome. You don't have to know how to get from here to there because that would be instinctive. That's the jackrabbit factor. That's spotting the rabbit, and you will instinctively know how to get there once this is clear. Yeah. So I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but I have a very vivid imagination. And so there is this house, and just a little kind of cottage, and we fell in love. I drove to it every day, I had a spot picked up in my yoga studio. We even wrote a letter and pretended to mail it and then receive it. And then it didn't happen, and so it's okay now, but what do you do? It comes in. That happened to me, the very same thing with the house. And go back to the laws. Which law can you look to to help you stay in gratitude? Which one? How about polarity? Well, this didn't work out. There must be something better. God has something better for us in mind. It's even going to be better than this. That's exciting. And it's hard to go there. Super fast, a lot of times when we are so emotionally invested in the one thing. Like a mom who's expecting a child so invested in that child. What if it miscarries? What if it's stillborn? Even in those situations, love polarity is not null and void. There is an equal benefit or greater. And we have to trust God that he knows and that we are just little children. He's like, trust me. We are limited in our understanding, but God knows. And so as you answer the question, how would it feel? We're activating this process. We move into a new vibration. And as a result, our circumstances, our environment changes. Things change. Things shift. And those serendipitous experiences where, oh my goodness, someone just sent us a check. There's unseen help that is ready to help us faster than we're ready to receive. And this is how we prepare ourselves to receive. And so... Yes, picture what you want and dream big, and it is time to imagine. So I have, I have a piece of cardstock for each of you, and I have a box of Crayola markers for each of you. We're going back to kindergarten, and you get to take these home with you. And if you go to Genius Boot Camp, you might want to bring them with you, because I think at boot camp you have to share your markers. <laughs> but take one of these, and what I want you to do, normally this is a two-part process, but we're short on time. First part is you just doodle. No rules, just doodle. We spend our life being told, oh, the giraffe isn't purple. Oh, you know, that circle's a little lopsided. And we're trying to conform. But when we were kindergartners, it was just whatever. 
And that's the creative part of us that's going to solve our problems. That the adversary, the enemy, has said, that's, that's a little crazy. Oh, people are going to laugh at that. Or, you know, and he's trying to shut down our creativity. Why? Because it is the key to rare faith. And he has no power when the Lord's people have rare faith. So he shuts our kids down and their creativity early. Because 30 years from now, that is their key to rare faith. Now, some of these are more neon than others. Walmart doesn't have all the same thing. I have one instruction on this piece. You're going to want to hear this. It's important to recover from your paper that we wrote stuff out. So I hope nobody leaves before this part's done, or I might do damage. <laughs> We're going to repair that moment. Um, on this paper, you're going to draw some kind of visual representation of your goal achieved, what you wanted. You know, remember your paper of all the negative stuff? If that weren't in the way, what's the other side of that? What would you create? It might be a picture of a happy family. It might be a picture of a home that's in a safer neighborhood. It might be a picture of you fulfilling your mission. It might be just some abstract something that represents the happy emotion you want to have in your life, the peace. It might be you and your child having a peaceful card game together. You know, So just draw something that represents the victory. I'm going to give you like 10 minutes. Or maybe five. <laughs> I invite you to allow yourself to feel it while you're imagining it, picturing it, drawing it. Don't judge yourself on how it looks. Okay, because this is between you and the Lord. The Lord knows what you can see in your head. And this is just for fun. But how is that going to feel? All right, come on back. we got one more thing to wrap up so that this all comes together. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about this. What were some of the feelings that we had doing this? Happy, happy, light. I hope everybody felt something a little different than when they were writing their papers. Now, put your markers away. Huh? You're not done? You can finish later. <laughs> All right, so now with your markers put away, I want you to take a good look at your picture. Look at it, study it, feel it. Because in just a minute, I'm going to have you put it away. Or turn it over. So turn it over and pull out your paper. The yucky paper. 
pull out the yucky paper. With this yucky paper, your assignment, your assignment, can everybody hear me in the kitchen area, dining area? Okay, your assignment is you're going to read through your paper, and your job is to read your paper while you're trying to remember your picture instead. And every time you feel yourself slip into fear or slip into a negative emotion, I want you to put a tally mark on your paper. And you're going to tally all the times you find yourself slipping back into those, those negative emotions. So the mental exercise is to hold in your mind the image of your dream while reading through your stuff. Does that make sense? You'll read through your stuff, hold in your mind the image of the dream, try to hold on to that feeling, but every time you slip, you'll mark a tally on the side of your paper. Any questions? Ready? And we're going to do this for at least two minutes. Set. Just keep rereading. If you get to the end, you'll start over. No, you may not look at your image. You have to hold it in your mind. Okay? Ready? Set. Go. You're looking at the results, the stuff you're dealing with now, and you're taking it in, but you're counting how many times you get emotional about what is instead of remembering your dream. Yeah, because you're reading it, but stay unemotional. If you feel yourself slip into emotion, check it out. We stay in joy, we just stay unemotional. If you feel the emotion of it, if you feel the negative emotion attached to something on your paper, you're just tallying your negative emotions. Just tallying the negative emotions. But your assignment is to keep reading. Okay, stop. What was that like? Longer west. Hard. Hard. I started to wonder if I really want the thing that I Do I want it bad enough? Yeah, like maybe this isn't really worth it. Interesting. Whoa. What do you make of that? I think I felt that before, but I think the thing that I wrote down is something that I feel outside pressure to want. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, Tracy. So I was telling, this is my picture of my whole extended family. Oh, yeah. I have a very bad relationship with my in-laws. I was able to read sentences and there was no emotion. Yes, that's what we're doing here. Who else experienced that? Where they would stop and then in their head they'd remember the picture and it was easier to get through. Yes. Remember, what are the two things that determine thoughts that are repeated often or emotion? Either one of those puts those in our subconscious mind. And so it doesn't have to be emotional when we're dealing with our stuff. We can handle things unemotionally, but if the words and the, the repetitive thoughts, the negative thoughts, those can have the same effect because thoughts repeated often will eventually turn into something that we feel. Yeah, Tammy. First time there was a little emotion, the second time I was like, this is silly, this is so dumb. Like, it was comical. It yeah. started to be like, oh, brother, why do you even worry about this guy's Oh, so it was kind of a comic. Okay, cool. interesting, yes. Yeah. I thought I couldn't do both things. Yeah. Oh, if I hold no. the image, I couldn't read. I mean, I was looking at words. Yeah, that's too, too. Yes, yes. So that's what I was going to ask. If I started paying attention to words, 
Then I got the wrong feeling. So the and words, the, the, the words are coming into your mind, but they have no meaning when you're focused on the dream. And so when you have a negative experience in your life, that negative experience doesn't have to have any meaning either when you're focused on the dream. Say that again. Yes. I don't remember what I said. So when you have a negative experience come into your life, it doesn't have to have any meaning as long as you're focused on the dream. Remember, because it's our conscious mind that assigns meaning to things. It just is. That doesn't mean anything. And it didn't affect my dream. We handle that unemotionally. We'll get through it unemotionally, but this is where we're going. Are you guys starting to pay attention to how life works? And how this change is not easy, but can you see that with practice it can get easier? And so this next part, you're going to want to watch this. This is a segment from our Genius Boot Camp where the participants go through an exercise like this. Uh, Lorraine just came back from one, so she knows what's coming. <laughs> but the uh, participants kind of did this activity a little bit longer, spent on it and some other things. Do you ever feel like life kind of beats you down? You're okay for a while, and then eventually it's like, oh, I'm weak, right? Okay, so how many tally marks did you have? Tell me what you had. Seven. 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 Eight. Eight. Eleven. Lorraine, how much time did we give for reading at boot camp? Do you remember? One of our participants had 136. 136. So he's reading through and he's just struggling the whole way through. And then there were a couple who had none. Happened to be, uh, you know, members of my home study course, but I won't throw that in there. Um, <laughs> just an FYI. No, so here is what they did with those tally marks. We went into another location that had some floor space. And on the floor is, and, and I'm giving you, like, this is the one secret that we keep. So it stays with you guys. If anybody asks what happens at boot camp, this is the part you don't share with them but I wanted you to have it. So we put on the floor a picture of this with these arrows. And you realize that when you're reading your story, this is what you're doing, right? When you're thinking about what's going wrong and why you can't and all the things that are hard, you're looking at your results and you're letting yourself get emotional or you're thinking about it often even if it's not emotional. This is what you're doing. You're doing this little cycle thing. Now remember, what we're trying to do instead is that wide dream cloud thing, right? So for every tally mark that we had on the floor, picture this stick man with the cycle. They stand in the middle of it with a bat. And they put their head on the bat, and they spin through it as many times as they have a tally mark. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then when they're done, they look up, and across the room, someone is holding their dream, and they have to go get their dream as fast as they can. And so what I want you to watch for, this is a montage of some of our people who did this, I want you to notice they are looking, it's kind of hard to tell from the camera angle, but they are looking at their dream, and they're headed straight for their dream, and they end up over here. And the more they spin, the more off they go. You see what's happening? And we had, at this event, you, you won't see this person, but this guy, he gets up to go do his spin, and um, he had just finished one of our courses. 
he gets up and he just walks over and takes his dream and sits down. He didn't have to spin. He didn't have to spin. Because <laughs> he had had that kind of exercise mind control. The discipline. The faith. Nothing wavering. Fear not. <laughs> Doubt not. You'll also notice that every one of them did eventually get their dream. They may have meandered a little bit before they got to it. They may have been on their hands and knees before they got to it. But it doesn't mean you can't achieve your dreams. Just how much pain do you want on your way? Right? You might miss the mark. Well, you can go back and get it. But the straight course is a little less painful. And that is accomplished through this rare faith. So here we go. Now, I don't have audio hooked up to here. There's really not much going on except laughter. But... <laughs> McBride, how many of you know her? She is now our facilitator. <laughs> you have the strongest emotion. So if you have fear, if you have doubt, no problem. Just do more on the dream. Just dominate. Just let it dominate. Now, did you notice that the careless thoughts, the um, where we let ourselves slip into it, it causes disorientation. You ever feel like you don't know how to get from here to there? You're disoriented. You have confusion. There's unnecessary hazards when you spin through this cycle. And you miss the target. Mosiah, but this much I can tell you that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts, even unto the end of your lives, you must perish. That's how important our thoughts are. So <laughs> I'm going to um, give you this last one. You've got to see this guy. And I just want you to check and see. So just ask yourself, how are you approaching your dream? 
What does your path look like in your dream right now? Have you been meandering? Have you been missing the mark? Have you been feeling disoriented? Have you been feeling confused? It might go back to how often you run that cycle. And let's not be this guy. on your goal achievement effectiveness. They just do. And it's a very direct correlation between how you think and how easily you achieve your goals. So just pay attention to how you're thinking. That's the first step. Just pay attention. Focused, disciplined thoughts lead to confidence, certainty, safety, and hitting the target. And this is just a little bonus piece. In the context of the stickman idea, there is something that Boyd K. Packer said, if you remember it, the true doctrine understood changes attitude and behavior. I know he's been quoted and repeated, but I'm going to have you look at what he said next in the context of the stick man. The study of the doctrines, the doctrines, this is kind of in the learning, the imagining, the faith building, the things that we do when we study the scriptures and, and listen to conference talks, the, the principles and doctrines improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. We focus on the behavior and we're studying why things are so wrong. The more we study that, the more we're focusing on that, and the more of that we tend to get. Thank you, Pastor Nelson. It may have been that same talk I mentioned. She said, every kind of sin, when you keep dwelling on it, it's a total magnet for more of this exact same sin. Yes, yes, the atonement allows you to jump from here to here and move on and create. It allows you to let go because staying is a sin. <laughs> you know, um, Wallace Waddle's book, Science of Getting Rich, which I don't like the title of that, but it is one of the most spiritual books I've ever read, which is, by the way, a free download if you get my course. Somewhere in that book, he says, when you have fear, cast it out as a sin. Cast it out. Would you expect that from a book called The Science of Getting Rich? <laughs> so often, our fear is, is a result of the, just the things we choose to dwell on. Do you realize that if you worry about something that's going to be bad happening, if you worry about it before it happens, and it happens, you've lived it twice. <laughs> if you're going to have to live it, just live it once. Right? Don't live it twice. So if... If the study of doctrines improve our behavior faster, then here is the true doctrine that I want to leave you with. DNC 67. I thought this was so appropriate for our, for our retreat. Behold and hearken, O ye sisters of my church, who have assembled yourselves together, whose prayers I have heard, and whose hearts I know, and whose desires have come up before me. 
Behold and lo, mine eyes are upon you, and the heavens and the earth are in mine hands, and the riches of eternity are mine to give. Ye endeavored to believe that ye should receive the blessing which was offered unto you, but behold, verily I say unto you, there were fears in your hearts, and verily this is the reason that ye did not receive. So, be as little children. Hang on to that creativity. Practice imagining. Practice picturing the, the promised blessing. How many blessings has he promised us? How about picture those? Picture the blessings he's already promised the faithful. Imagine yourself experiencing those. Can you see yourself coming before the, the presence of God? I don't remember. I should have prepared it. Standing before a bar of God. I mean, there is one part where he says, can you imagine yourself standing there expecting to enter in with all of these sins? You know, that's one side of it. But can you imagine... Imagine him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Imagine that. How will that feel? Do you think that will help you stay on target? Do you think that will help you choose appropriate goals from here to there? Absolutely. Visualize it. Visualize it. Imagine it. Feel it. Teach your children to imagine meeting their maker. Is Al 32 also looking forward to the fruit thereof? It says that certain looking forward. Nurture the tree, looking forward to the fruit thereof. Just read Alma. They saw with their eyes that yes. they had seen with their eyes. That's a good one, too. There are so many. Say that louder. They saw with their eyes that which they had beheld. Alma 12, 19. That is the end of the presentation. I do have two bonus nuggets, but I wanted to check in on the time. Becky? Janet, would you be okay if we did it a little bit longer? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Everybody good with that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I asked Becky ahead of time if this would be okay to share because I know how much they do vision boards and everything. (laughs) I hate vision boards. Can I just say that? Is that like blasphemous? Yes. <laughs> I'm really bad. <laughs> no, and, and I will say, I will say that since I had wanted to share this piece because I I just struggled with vision boards, they made me angry. I've since been taught more that affirm to me that it's not one or the other, but that what I'm about to share with you is just another tool in the tool belt. There was a time where I would have vision boards up and they would just make me angry because it was a constant reminder of what was not in my life. It, I was, my brain wasn't receiving it like, oh, this is what you're going to get. It was just a, it was a negative. It was the way my brain worked. And it, it reminds me back to the jackrabbit factor idea of where, you remember the sidewalk story in the introduction, those of you, you who have read it, where my husband was listening to a recording of us girls trying to describe to them where to find us on this date. And it was like, okay, turn left, then turn right. And they're listening to this recording trying to mimic it, but they were in the wrong spot. So the instructions didn't help them because we weren't in the same place when we recorded it. And so the vision board, I have learned, has a time and a place and a purpose. Um, But as I was struggling, this was right about the time that we were just like almost losing everything. Everything was caving in. Everything was falling apart. I was working crazy hours trying to hold everything together and homeschooling. And I had one son who was, I think, 16 that came to me in the middle of my chaos and said, Mom, I need you to help me get a job. That's no small task. At least in my mind, I thought, that's 
you know, like help him with the resume, help him find jobs to apply for, drive him to these places or whatever. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I can't do that right now. He says, Mom, but I need it to be like, I want it to build muscle. I need to earn this much money by this certain date. And it's got to be on the weekend because I've got school, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, can you help me with that? And I, I just like one of those moments where I just wanted to shut down. I was like so exhausted already. And that was just one more straw on the camel's back. And nobody looks like you understand what a big deal that is to help a kid get a job. I do. You do? <laughs> I do. Or is it just a paradigm? Like, I'm just picturing like, the, the science fair or something. Equally just science fair. Kind of dirty. Because you're not only working with the logistics of that, but with their mindset too. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, I mean, I've brought, I brought him jobs that he's like, no. No, I don't want to do that. You know, and so there's all that in there too. So at the time, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have time to deal with that. I can't help him. I feel guilty that I, I'm not helping him, and all this stuff. And I felt, I felt the Lord very specifically and directly tell me what to do. And He said, "Get out a journal," and it needed to be a special journal. I grabbed one that I had on hand that had been used for like, no, it hadn't been even used. And so I had an empty journal, and I had just recently read a book that there were some truths in there that I really clung to, had just been given this image, this idea that the angels are able and ready to help us more than we realize it, that we don't have to beg and plead for help, that sometimes all it needs to be is a glance heavenward, a cry for help from within, And that's all the permission they need. Okay, all right, she's invited us. Allow us to step in. And so from that perspective, I thought, okay, well, I believe there's more help available to me than I have previously known in the past. And so the idea was to take my journal on the left side to write the words, what I needed. And I put what I needed and then that date, the, the date. And I just pulled out of my head all the things that I needed help with because I wasn't not willing to do it all myself. I was just, did not have the capacity, didn't have the time. I needed a committee. (laughs) I needed a a committee of people to help me. So I needed help with coming up with this tuition for this thing. I needed the IRS bill forgiven or settled for a, did you know that corporate taxes are due after an extension in September instead of October? We didn't even owe anything. It was a zero return, and I paid it on time in October, and it was a month late, and they wanted to charge us. It got up to like $1,400 just because of a penalty for not filing. Anyway, that's another story. I needed this thing. I needed that thing. And then I wrote down, Nathan, manual labor job to earn at least X amount by this certain date. And I wrote that down. And in my head, by writing it down, I was saying, all right, here's permission. Here is permission to intervene in my life. I need help with this because I've got to be focusing on something else right now. And so that was my way of kind of keeping track of a prayer journal. It was a prayer request. But in my head at the time, it was more like, all right, here's permission to help me. And uh, put it in there and then went back to my work. And I didn't think about it. I didn't worry about it. 20 minutes later... (laughs) I get a phone call from his uncle that said, hey, um, is Nathan available over the weekend? I need to hire him. We're gutting a a bathroom. I need some muscle. 
and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow. You said the same words. Yeah. 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 It was like, it was almost like he was going to call anyway. And the Lord hurry up and said, write this down. I want you to watch this. You know, <laughs> Watch how this works. And so I wrote on the, on this side, how he helped capital H, how he helped. And it used to be, I would just write the date of when I asked for the help and the date of when the help showed up or how it was resolved or whatever. And now I write the date and the timestamp <laughs> because of so many things that happened in the same day. And some of the things that I've asked for are, um, we were looking for a certain kind of rental home that had these qualities. There was something weird. Oh, I know what it was. We found the perfect place. And he was ready to rent it to us until he found out how many children we have. He's like, whoa, he's from China. So many people, too many people. <laughs> and I promised him I should, and we'd take care of the place and everything. And he acted like he wasn't going to rent to us. And so let me see if I can find it. I wrote what I needed. Okay, what I needed. I need the Lord to handle any reservations or concerns that the landlord may have about our family size or income. If they, oh, that was the other thing. We were self-employed. He wasn't you know, sure we could handle it. And then I said, if there are other concerns I'm not aware of, to handle those as well. Help me be at peace so that I don't create a concern that may not even exist. And I let it go. And two days later, <laughs> landlord emailed me and said, I just browsed through your website and found it fascinating. I cannot wait to meet you in person and exchange ideas. Please fill out the application and return to me as soon as possible. I am sure you will maintain it in good condition and the kids will be happily nurtured in the environment. And what the Lord did here was he was not just tolerant of us, but excited. It was a tender mercy. I am so grateful. I've used this when there's been a funky relationship with somebody like... Something went off, and I don't know what it was, and I've done everything I can, and I feel like the more I try to fix it, the worse I'm making it, and I just need to turn this one over to the Lord because I don't know what's going on with that other person. And I did that. Six months later, this person called me with an apology. So this is my tool in my tool belt. When I am trying to do more than I am mortally, physically capable of handling, or if I don't have the wisdom to handle it the right way or whatever, I put down what I needed. And, and like Becky, it might be a question. I need an answer to this question. And what I love about this process is that I have now evidence of all of the things that the Lord has done in my life. And so many things, I mean, every time you see something on the right-hand page, it's because it was resolved. That one was a two-page resolve. And now some things have not yet been resolved, or I forgot to go back and add it. So, Leslie. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always, I'm reading church history right now, and it's always talking about a second witness and a third witness and things like that. And so maybe, you know, maybe that's why we're always encouraged to write in our journals and things like that, because it's, it's you've got hard evidence, and it's also a witness to somebody else that will be a testimony to them that, yeah. you know what, this really does and work. And he loves to be acknowledged, mm -hmm. to recognize his hand in all things. So that is my first nugget, is this journal. And, and what's interesting is I was two weeks ago, and, and this, had, this replaced my vision board. This worked for me better. I saw quicker evidence. And this was handling my day-to-day -day challenges. A vision board was always more about the 
what's in the future or next month or, you know, it, it's, I wouldn't throw something up on the vision board for something I needed today. Yeah. But I would do that in my journal. And I was, I was having a conversation with someone about two weeks ago where I got a glimpse or a vision of something that was possible in my life that I hadn't imagined before that I felt like was, here, try this on. This could be your future. Picture that. Try it on. And as I did, I kind of got excited about it. And then the thought came, put it on a vision board. So I don't quite yet have it figured out what's for what and when's for when. But I think if you are in tune with the Spirit and do what the Spirit tells you in the moment, you'll be doing the right things. Don't do what we say to do. These are just ideas. But if the Spirit confirms to you, yeah, do that, then listen to the Spirit. Right, And so I love that the vision board has, in, in that case, that would be a very positive thing for me to look at because I felt like that vision was given to me by God. And I'm not saying I want something that I'm not sure if it's okay for me to want, who I really want it, and you know, there, there was some uncertainty with some of the things I would put on my vision board. But when God gives you a vision, and it's not a today thing, but it's something you want to move towards. You want it to be a poster that you can look at if you're dealing with challenges, and you can look at that on your wall. That's what these things are that you've created. That's a vision board. Today, you've created those. Those can go on your vision board to help represent what you're trying to accomplish. I was just reading what you put on your rental home thing, and I love how you ended it because you listed everything that you needed and you wanted for your family and for you, and you said all this or something better denoting the expectation that God would give it to you or something better. I really like that. Yeah. Can I ask a question? I sure. know one of my biggest weaknesses is struggling to feel worthy to ask for things. And and do I deserve to ask? And I'm like reading the scriptures that men and prophets were given great power because the Lord knew that they would never ask for something amiss. And so I think I've like, clung to that, like, don't ask unless you know but when you watch that, really, I think I just need to get better at asking and trusting and not trying to figure it out if I deserve it or if I'm worthy. You know how this started? What was I experiencing when this started? There's a D word. Desperation. That was desperate. And this is on my blog, but one of the... Most important things I've learned since discovering these principles and practicing them and applying them and learning lessons through them, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is this power to co-create with God, just because you can, doesn't mean you always should. Get turned on to this law of attraction principle, like, oh, I can create anything. And so they just go crazy creating everywhere because they know they can and they've experienced the process and they've trained their mind to go to the right places to keep in faith and and they just start knocking things out and they're achieving 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 and receiving and receiving and it's it can become an addiction and like i said there's always a counterfeit to the true principle and i've learned that the lord allows us to experiment with these principles and learn how they work and everything but with as in all things there is wisdom to be used and so i like to compare it with the power of procreation they're both creative powers they are both activated in a way, and yet just because you can procreate doesn't mean you always should. 
there are boundaries, there are principles, there are there are there is a right way, appropriate times and places for the activation of that power. And the same goes for this co-creative power. There are appropriate times and places to use it. There are times where um, we are in a mess, and I, I think, well, I could apply these principles to solve this, and something constrains me that says, no, allow this one to work itself out in this other way. Or one of the hardest things that I've had to learn is when my husband and I are facing a challenge together, and I'm like, oh, we could just apply these principles, and there's something about it that he is not feeling comfortable with it, or the pace of it, or something. And the Spirit has told me, allow him to figure this one out. Which means, I can solve that, but I shouldn't. And as parents, we, we get to experience that. Sometimes we solve the problem for the child, sometimes we need to let them solve it. And so, I know that there have been people that know what I teach, or at least the beginnings of it, they don't all get into the deep stuff, but... Um, Maybe they look at the house we're in and they're not impressed. Maybe they look at the car we drive and they're not impressed. It doesn't matter anymore. I used to think that I had to look impressive to be a representative of this message. Not anymore. So, not so anymore. is there a way that we can figure out the principles and the boundaries before we learn from other people's mistakes? <laughs> Just read my blog. Just read my blog. But there will be some experimenting with it. And, and not to be afraid to learn those lessons because it's all part of the process. It's all part of the path. You know, it's just like, don't be afraid to make mistakes in life. Well, what if I make a mistake? Oh, the atonement has already paid the price for all those mistakes. And we just are here to practice and learn how to become like our Father in Heaven and to be comfortable in His presence and to, uh, to participate in His work. He doesn't need us to get his work done, but we get to participate as we learn to apply these principles. When I asked for the $10,000, I felt directed by the Spirit to ask for that sum. And it was such a, I've never, this was before I heard of any of this sort of stuff, and it was, it was such a spiritual experience for me. But I never felt prompted again to ask for a specific sum. Isn't that, that's beautiful. That is exactly, that is exactly what this is all about, is is learning to live by the Spirit and doing what it says as you go. And when it doesn't say, you do your best at what you think you should do and not be afraid to make mistakes. You know, you'll make mistakes along the way and you'll figure things out and you'll learn stuff that will be valuable. I mean, Jackrabbit Factor, it's the only book I know that talks about these principles in the context of all the ways it doesn't work because they tried it all these ways and that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work to help rule out so that you're left with here's how. Because there's a hundred million books out there on here's how, but I didn't understand the kind of mistakes you can make along the way, and it was, that was, I needed to know how not to so I could avoid that. It's just the way my brain works. But someone else had a, yeah. So when you were talking about this, it reminded me of in the Book of Mormon how Alma and Amulek were teaching the gospel to the people who were worshiping after the order of the New World or whatever mm -hmm. it was called. Very wicked people, and they ended up kicking out all the believers and then burning the wives and the children. And Amulek said, shouldn't we exercise our faith in God and stop this? And Alma said, no, this is not the right time. The Spirit isn't telling me to do this. And it ended up later on that they did exercise their faith in God and broke the bands that bound their wrists inside the prison. And the walls tumbled down. 
and killed the, the wicked people that were in the prison with them. But it's interesting how exactly like you said, there's a time and a place and just kind of an order appropriate according to God's will and God's time. That's good. And there's there are people I've had in classes or I've had comments that they are so afraid that they don't know what God's will is that they won't even attempt. That Oh, I won't ask for my life to be any different because I'm not sure that's the Lord's will for me. If he wants it that way, it'll just he'll make sure it happens that way. S. Michael Wilcox said that life experiences will carve a place out of your heart so that you can receive the answer that God's already trying to give you. There's just not a place for it. So if you want to wait until life's experiences get you to be so desperate that you're willing to look at you know, and, and that's human nature. I can't say that we're bad or good for it being that way. But just be careful not to fear asking because it might not be appropriate. Stop me if I'm wrong is a common prayer in my vocabulary. Stop me if I'm wrong. I'm doing the best I know how. He doesn't give us answers to all things or we are a slothful servant. Take what we've learned and apply it to something. Apply it to something. Yeah. I was just going to say... I'm thinking of that scripture that says the Spirit maketh intercession for us because we don't know how to pray. Yeah. And so I think it's better oh, to wow. just be like a child and let the Spirit say, yeah. you know it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, here's a desire of my heart. Is it okay for me to ask for this? I've had that prayer before, and the answer is like, yes, ask. Okay. Because it's so much easier to believe that there's a way for that to be accomplished when it's been sanctioned. And I don't always get a big, strong yes. But if it's not confusion, I may proceed. And then the last piece, Becky kind of wanted me to share this. This is a science project that my, I think she was 12 at the time, did. You can't see it, but on this pod it says happy. And on this pod it says ugly. And this was the control in the middle. And she was going to send happy thoughts and ugly, angry thoughts to the different plants to see how the plants would respond. So just thoughts, not vocal. Thoughts. And you know, there was some vocal, too. But the intention was always to the plant that she was looking at, you know. And over time, nothing changed. And I'm like, oh, I hope this works. Because I've, I've heard this works. And I, you know, I wanted to see the experiment. And... And over time, the plants grew, and they grew, but there was no effect. And so, like, when she wasn't home, I'm over there trying to intensify and give it, <laughs> give it what, you know, like, come on. But I also kind of felt guilty when I'm telling the ugly plants awful things. It was, like, hard to do. But here's what happened. After so many days, they still looked the same. Uh, but they needed some sunshine, so we put them out on the back patio, and still they looked the same. But there was one day we forgot to water them for... A couple days, I think, just forgot about them. We live in Arizona. This was in the spring, though, so it wasn't too bad. And after it went without water, this is what it looked like. And so they both were equally strong until there was trauma, which I thought was interesting. I thought that the words and the negative images or the negative thoughts and everything would be the trauma. But in the case of this experiment, it just weakened. It weakened its constitution so that when there was trauma, it didn't have the fortitude and the strength to stay strong. I think that's just interesting food for thought. Yeah. So we ended up planting them, and we talked to all three of them with happy thoughts and stuff, and all three survived and were super strong. They ended up being like giant, like this. Yep. And the ugly one almost died, but then we just kept talking to him. 
So I'm done, but I have some things to give away. Who wants stuff? You gave us more for so happy. Oh, I don't think my name's in there. You want to get your name ready? Oh, are we supposed to have her name? I'm like, she could have Okay, this one goes to Debbie. audio CD of it. Danissa? This is the Jackrabbit Factor. This is a story form of these principles. Charlotte. This is Portal to Genius. It's got Jackrabbit Factor in it and the sequel. Donna? This is an audio of As a Man Thinketh. This is that 150-year-old book that is so profound. This is one of those books where if you highlight all the profound stuff, it's mostly highlighted. Raise your hand if you've read it and you know what I'm talking about. Tracy. Now this, it's not special packaging, but this is the Jackrabbit Factor on audio. It's fun for a road trip. And, and kids enjoy the story too. Michelle. Are you guys tired of this or should I keep going? Portal to Genius on audio, it includes Jackrabbit Factor, it's nine CDs. That one goes to Janet. Now, I've got one of these for each of you. This is about the boot camp, but someone's going to get a free ticket to boot camp. Thank you. Carrie Young? but it's the e-course, the Mindset Fundamentals e-course, which is an eight-week email lesson series that is like the foundation for all of this because a lot of people, if they go to try to achieve their goal without understanding the foundation, they end up frustrated. So with this foundation, it's the preparation before the implementation. And that's normally $37, and it's just digital, so you'll have to email me. Leslie Hasselder! <laughs> Carrie Myers? 
last thing, the big whammy. This is the home study course. Oh, this it. You're in it, right? Anybody else already in it? You're in it. You're, you're in it. Um, the, this is called the Mindset Mastery Home Study Course. It, I'm not going to take the time to pull it out, but it's a 300-page manual with two workbooks and 24 lessons. It's designed to take three months. But this is the course that people were coming out of this backspin with no tallies because they just have this confidence and they know what they're doing. And so that's normally $847. Who wants one? <laughs> Tammy Goldberg? <laughs> That's all. I'm done. I just want to leave with you my absolute testimony that, that, that these principles are true, that the Lord wants us to understand them because he has so much that he needs us to do in these last days. And I imagine that the gathering, this final gathering, the evil is strong, but what we've been given to combat it is stronger. And the knowledge, the more knowledge we have, the more we can live without fear. We can have peace of mind in any economy. We can know that I don't know where tomorrow's money's gonna come from, but I know how he takes care of me. And what we've experienced is that you live by the rare faith until it becomes that first kind of faith because it's born of experience. Oh yeah, he takes care of us. It becomes your experience that you can now draw on both kinds of faith to keep going. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.